Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for November 10th, 2020. The famous salutation, Dr. Livingston, I presume, was uttered on this day in 1871 on the shore of Lake Tanganyika. David Livingston was born at Blantry, south of Glasgow, on the 19th of March of 1813. At the age of 10, he began working in the local cotton mill with school lessons in the evenings. In 1836, he began studying medicine and theology in Glasgow and decided to become a missionary doctor. In 1841, he was posted to the edge of the Kalahari Desert in southern Africa, and in 1845, he married Mary Moffat, daughter of a fellow missionary. Livingston became convinced of his mission to reach new peoples in the interior of Africa and to introduce them to Christianity, commerce, and with the hopes of liberating them from slavery. It was this which inspired his explorations, and in 1849, he traveled across the Kalahari, where he discovered the Upper Zambezi River. In 1852, he began a four-year expedition to find a route from the Upper Zambezi to the coast. This filled huge gaps in Western knowledge of Central and Southern Africa, and in 1855, Livingston discovered a spectacular waterfall, which he named Victoria Falls. He reached the mouth of the Zambezi on the Indian Ocean in May of 1856, becoming the first European to cross the width of southern Africa. Returning to Britain as a national hero, Livingston made many speaking tours and published his best-selling Missionary Travels and Researches in South Africa of 1857. He left for Africa again in 1858 and for the next five years carried out official explorations of Eastern and Central Africa for the British government. Unfortunately, his wife died of malaria in 1862, a bitter blow, and in 1864 he was ordered home by a government unimpressed with the results of his latest travels. After returning to England a second time, Livingston published The Horrors of the Slave Trade, securing private support for another expedition to Central Africa. And in 1864, Livingston returned to the continent and mounted an expedition through the central portion of Africa. As months stretched into years, little was heard from the explorer. Rumors spread that Livingston was being held captive, or was lost, or worse. Newspapers headlined the question, where is Livingston, while the public clamored for information on the whereabouts of their national hero. By 1871, the ruckus had crossed to the shores of America and inspired George Bennett, then publisher of the New York Herald, to commission newspaper reporter Henry Stanley to go and find him. Henry Stanley was a remarkable man in his own right. Orphaned at an early age, he spent his formative years in a workhouse in Wales, crossed the Atlantic at age 15 as a crewman of a merchant ship, and jumped ship in New Orleans. Befriended by a local merchant, he took the man's name, Henry Stanley, as his own, and went on to fight in the Battle of Shiloh during our Civil War, before working his way into a career in journalism. 
leading an expedition of approximately 200 men, Stanley headed into the interior of Africa from the eastern shore on March 21st of 1871. After nearly eight months, he found Livingston in Ujiji, a small village on the shore of Lake Tanganyika, on November 10th, 1871. Stanley described the scene in his own words. We push on rapidly. We halt at a little brook, then ascend the long slope of a naked ridge, the very last of the myriads we have crossed. We arrive at the summit, travel across, and arrive at its western rim, and Ujiji is below us, embowered in the palms only 500 yards from us. At this grand moment, we do not think of the hundreds of miles we have marched, of the hundreds of hills that we have ascended and descended, of the many forests we have traversed, of the jungles and thickets that annoyed us, of the fervid salt plains that blistered our feet, of the hot suns that scorched us, nor the dangers and difficulties now happily surmounted. Our hearts and our feelings are with our eyes as we peer into the palms and try to make out in which hut or house lives the white man with the gray beard we heard about on the Malagarazi. We are now about 300 yards from the village of Ujiji, and the crowds are dense about me. Suddenly, I hear a voice on my right say, Good morning, sir. Startled at hearing this greeting in the midst of such a crowd of black people, I turn sharply around in search of the man, and see him at my side, with the blackest of faces, but animated and joyous, a man dressed in a long white shirt with a turban of American sheeting around his woolly head, and I ask, Who the mischief are you? I am Susie, the servant of Dr. Livingston, said he, smiling and showing a gleaming row of teeth. What? Is Dr. Livingston here? Yes, sir. In this village? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Sure, sure, sir. Why? I leave him just now. In the meantime, the head of the expedition had halted, and Selim said to me, I see the doctor, sir. Oh, what an old man. He's got a white beard. My heart beats fast, but I must not let my face betray my emotions, lest it shall detract from the dignity of a white man appearing under such extraordinary circumstances. So I did that which I thought was most dignified. I pushed back the crowds, and passing from the rear, walked down a living avenue of people until I came in front of the semicircle of Arabs in the front of which stood the white man with the gray beard. As I advanced slowly toward him, I noticed he was pale, looking wearied, had a gray beard, wore a bluish cap with a faded gold band around it, and on a red-sleeved waistcoat and a pair of gray tweed trousers. I would have run to him, only I was a coward in the presence of such a mob, would have embraced him, only, he being an Englishman, I do not know how he would receive me, so I did what cowardice and false pride suggested was the best thing, walked deliberately to him, took off my hat, and said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Yes, said he with a kind smile, lifting his cap slightly. I replace my hat on my head, and he puts on his cap, and we both grasp hands, and I then say aloud, I thank God, doctor, I have been permitted to see you. He answered, I feel thankful that I am here to welcome you. With new supplies from Stanley, 
Livingston continued his efforts to find the source of the Nile, but his efforts were abandoned after the horror of witnessing the massacre of some 400 slaves by Arab slave traders. Along the banks of the Lualaba River, 470 miles southwest from the mighty Nile's main source, Lake Victoria. Livingston's health had been poor for many years, and on the 1st of May of 1873, Dr. David Livingston died at the age of 60 in Chief Chitambo's village at Ilala, in present-day Zamibia, from malaria and internal bleeding due to dysentery. His loyal attendants, Chuma and Susi, removed his heart and buried it under a baobab tree near the spot where he died. That site, now known as the Livingston Memorial, lists his date of death as the 4th of May, the date reported and carved into the tree's trunk by Chuma and Susi. The rest of his remains were carried by hand, together with his journal, over 1,000 miles, a journey that took 63 days by Chuma and Susi themselves. They took the remains of Livingston to the coast, where they were returned by ship to Britain for burial. In London, his body lay in repose at Number 1 Seville Row, then the headquarters of the Royal Geographical Society, before being sent to his final resting place in Westminster Abbey. Thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time.